verses 13 through 16 tonight. And we're going to go ahead and read those verses, and then we will open up in prayer and then um, get into God's word. So verse 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. One of Paul's favorite terms. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And Father, we, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. It truly is uh, supernatural, truly is powerful. It truly is from you, God, God-breathed, God-inspired. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would bless your word to our hearts. We pray that you would give us understanding, Father, and that you would minister to us and change us, Lord, change our mindsets, change our hearts, God. Once again, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. And so, as we continue in 1 Thessalonians, um, in this section, in these verses, Paul talks about their reception of the gospel as the word of God. And so we will be looking at the word of God tonight and looking at some verses at the promises that are in the word of God for us as believers. And so the title tonight is How the Gospel Was Received. Um, I will be sharing out of the New King James Version tonight. I always forget to say that. And so I, fi I figured I'd fit it in right now, <laughs> get it out of the way. Right? <laughs> and so last time we were together, we covered chapter 1, and we were looking at, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, and we were looking at verses 1 through 12. And we talked about how the gospel was delivered and we saw that the gospel was delivered by Paul and, of course, Silas and, um, and Timothy. We talked about how the power or the gospel was delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit. We also talked about how the, the gospel was delivered in much conflict. The gospel was delivered in boldness. We saw that the gospel was delivered in pleasing God not men. And so um, they didn't pull any punches. Whatever the word of God said, that's what they shared. And so they were not out to please men. And we'll talk more about that tonight as well. Um, we saw that the gospel was delivered 
through imitating God as they, Paul and the apostles, imitated God. And of course, tonight we see that Paul mentions that they, the Thessalonians believers, were imitating the churches of God, which, uh, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. And then finally, we saw that the gospel was delivered to them through a good witness. But tonight, we want to talk about how the gospel was received. How did they receive the gospel, the Thessalonians? Remember, they, this uh, congregation was a young congregation. Paul had only spent maybe um, three weeks with the, with, these, with, these, with the Thessalonians, possibly a little bit more. It was, uh, in Acts, it says that he was there for three Sabbaths. And so this is a very young congregation, and yet Paul was able to share with them some deep doctrines. And so today we want to see how the gospel was received. Look with me at verse 13 as we start off in verse 13. Paul says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. And so the first thing we see is that we must have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. They were sharing the word of God, and the Thessalonians heard what Paul and them was sharing. I did not write the scripture down. It's in Romans, Romans chapter, Romans chapter four, uh, chapter 10, it is. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, People must be told about Jesus. We must hear the gospel. The Thessalonians heard what Paul and the apostles were sharing with them, how they were sharing the gospel with them. Um, I was thinking back to when I first heard the gospel and the Lord saved us or saved me, saved Cindy. We got saved at the same, uh, the same day, just maybe about an hour apart. And so think back when you got saved. Did someone come and share the gospel with you? And then you heard them. You heard what they were saying. You heard what the Spirit was saying. And you responded to the, to the need because that's what the gospel is. It's, it's revealing a need that we have that each and every person has, and that is salvation, that we need to be forgiven of our sins, that we have sinned against a, a holy God. And so um, someone came and shared with you the gospel, and you heard. The Thessalonians heard what uh, Paul 
and the apostles had shared with them. This event of sharing the gospel with someone and someone hearing what the Spirit is saying is a supernatural event taking place between the Holy Spirit, the written word of God, and the sinner. A supernatural event that takes place. It is the Holy Spirit that is revealing, as I just said, our need for Christ, revealing that the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross was for my sin. We make it personal, right? And so um, it is a supernatural event that takes place. The gospel tells us that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. If I was to ask you one verse, one verse that you could point to that would explain the gospel, would you be able to go to that verse? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If, if you want to turn there. Um, I didn't, I didn't uh, write it down. or. But in verse 3, we have the gospel in one verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we can go to this verse here and... It explains in detail what the gospel is. Of course, the word gospel is good news. And so in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And so Paul also heard the gospel. Paul also received the gospel. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so the first thing we see in the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Of course, we know that um, Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was the perfect lamb of God. And yet he went to the cross so that the wrath of God that we had earned could be placed upon him. And so the first thing we see in the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And notice he says, according to the scriptures. God had, God had way back, if you were to go all the way back to Genesis, had promised that he would send a savior to pay for the sins of, of mankind. And so he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and, and that he was buried. And so the second thing that we see is that Jesus was buried when he was taken down from the cross, signifying that he actually was dead, right? You don't, we don't bury a, a person that is alive. And so by him being buried, signifying that his debt that he actually was dead and then paul tells us and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and so we see that the resurrection is also part 
of the gospel. And one thing about the book of Acts um, is that we see that the early church always included the resurrection in their message. So important, without the resurrection, um, well, we wouldn't be here tonight. <laughs> Our sins wouldn't be forgiven. The penalty of, of mankind's sins would not have been paid without the resurrection. And so the resurrection is just as important as Jesus going to the cross. And so in a nutshell, we see that the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so back to 1 Thessalonians, we see that the Thessalonians received the word of God which they heard. Paul, of course, shared the gospel with them. They heard it. And then we see the second thing, how they received the gospel, is they welcomed it. They welcomed it. Look with me at the rest of verse 13. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. We know we have here a negative, and we also have a positive in, in the rest of this verse here. The negative is, is that not as the word of men. I don't know if you share with people uh, something from the Bible or share the gospel, share something about the Lord, share something from the word, and they say, well, I can't really, I, I don't believe the Bible because, well, men wrote it. <laughs> How do I know that it's from God? People are, people make mistakes all the time. People will write down what they want to write down. And so they come up with all these excuses that the word of God is, is written by men. But the Thessalonians here, Paul tells us, they welcomed the word of God, not as the word of men. They did not um, believe that the word of God came by just man's intellect or just from people. We see they received it, they welcomed it as it is in truth, the word of God. And so here we have a positive, in truth, the word of God. And now all people must receive the word as such, truth and being the word of God. We must believe all of the Bible as truth. I was just sharing with a coworker and we were talking about um, creation. And he had mentioned something about how uh, creation was, was um, about 10,000 years, the earth was 10,000 years old. Um, we were talking, I can't even remember what we were talking about, but he had mentioned it was 10,000 years old. I said, well, he was reading. And I said, well, that's wrong. Because the scriptures tell us that the, the earth is about 6,000 years old. I said, you can follow the genealogies in the book of Genesis. It's one of the things we're going through in the, in the youth ministry. Is you can follow the genealogies and you can track it all the way from 
from Adam to Abraham, to Abraham, to Jesus, and to Jesus till today. And what you come up with is about 6,000 years, give or take a few years, right? And so, um, and so I was sharing with him all of that, and he said, well, I can't believe that. <laughs> and so I said, well, um, well, then how do you choose what to believe and what not to believe in the Bible? And he thought about it, and he says, that's true. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I still have trouble believing that it's only 6,000 year, years old, the creation of the earth. I said, that's fine. You're, you're, you're not alone. There's many theologians that, that believe that there, there's a gap, the gap theory, uh, between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1, and they fit in X amount of years in there. And so I said, you're not alone. <laughs> And so, um, but my point was to him was that how do you pick and choose what to believe and what not to believe in the word? In other words, you either have to believe it all from Genesis to Revelation or none of it. And so the Thessalonians here welcomed what Paul and the apostles were sharing as number one, truth. That's very important, truth. I mean, today, people are trying to find truth. People are asking, is there any truth? Is there an absolute truth? And so, the Thessalonians received the word of God as truth. John 17, 17 says, Jesus speaking, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Speaking about the disciples, your word is truth. And so Jesus said that the word of God is truth. And so is there an absolute truth? Absolutely. It's the word of God. And Jesus testified to that fact. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we see that all scripture, the verse starts with, all scripture is given by inspiration. It's God-breathed. It's inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And so we see that the that the word of God is, or that the Bible, I should say, is truth, and that it is, in fact, the word of God. And then finally, in verse 13c, Paul tells them about the word of God, that it also effectively works in you who believe. And so we see that the word of God is effective when it is received, when it is received as truth, when it is received as being God-breathed, as being inspired by the Holy Spirit, being inspired by God, that the Holy Spirit moved, as Peter tells us, holy men of God, and they wrote down the scriptures. And so, 
we see that the word of God, when it is received, is effective. Isaiah tells us that it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, Isaiah says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and, bring it, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so God promises that the word of God will accomplish his will. The word of God is effective. It will accomplish what he pleases. It will prosper in the thing that it was sent to do. Conviction, instruction in righteousness, as we just read. And God promises that it will accomplish his will. So, logical question is, what what does it accomplish? What pleases the Lord? So I wanted to share with some scriptures on that. And we have, I, we have about 10 of them that I want to share tonight, but there are so, the, whole, the Bible is full of promises from the Lord. I think if you, no matter which book you choose to read, you're going to find promises of the Lord. You're going to find the will of God. In those, in those verses, in those chapters. And so um, if we were to try and <laughs> we would have to read the whole Bible to, to um, cover all of them. But I think that takes a lifetime, doesn't it? It takes a lifetime to, as you're digging into the scriptures and studying them and meditating upon them, God just speaks to our hearts. And the, our whole lifetime God just reveals something new, something fresh, even something that we've never even seen before. And so um, as we study the word of God, so what does it accomplish? What pleases the Lord? Well, number one, it accomplishes spiritual life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, Peter says this, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so Peter tells us that we have been born again of an incorruptible seed. And he tells us what that incorruptible seed is. It is the word of God. And so we see that the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, illuminating the word of God into our hearts and minds and revealing Jesus to us and our need for him 
and his sacrifice upon the cross, causing us to be born again, causing us to be born from above. And we, so we see that the word of God brings spiritual life. And I'll you know, be quite honest with you, not only in salvation, right? Not only in salvation does it bring spiritual life. As we read and study the word of God after we're saved, it's renewing our spirit, right? Encouraging us, strengthening us, strengthening our spirit, and so on and so forth. And so the word of God brings spiritual life. Number two, the word of God, or what it accomplishes, is it accomplishes spiritual growth. First Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's what we're doing tonight, right? As we come, I was thinking about this, that we're here Sundays, we're here Wednesdays, we a midweek Bible study, and what do we come and do? <laughs> we come and study the word. And so as we come and we study the word, we are just growing in the Lord. We're, we're becoming more like Jesus. We begin to develop that heart of God, that heart of Jesus, the mind of Christ. Paul tells us we already have the mind of Christ, but as we come and we study the word, we develop that that mind of Christ. And so the, uh, the word of God accomplishes spiritual growth as well. The next thing we see is that the word of God accomplishes answered prayer. In John 15, 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you dwell in me, if you remain in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Notice he says, and my words abide in you, remain in you, dwell in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And so um, God promises that if we remain in him, and if his word remains in us, and as we pray to him, he will answer our prayer. And you know, when we're in the word, we're meditating upon it and we're studying it, what are our desires going to be? Hmm? His desires. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to be wanting material things. Things that are just for us, just uh, selfish things. We won't, we won't be asking for selfish things, right? We're going to be um, seeking his will, that is going to be our desire for his will to be done. And so um, the word of God accomplishes answered prayer as well. Fourthly, it accomplishes success and prosperity. Success and prosperity. And of course, we know that success and prosperity teachings have been abused in the church, unfortunately. That's unfortunate. It really is because it's a promise from the Lord. And yet, I don't know about you, but for me, I kind of want to stay away from that because of all the abuse of the prosperity doctrine, right? The prosperity movement. And yet, 
We see it in the scriptures, Joshua 1.8. The Lord speaking to Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So God tells him that he should meditate upon it day and night, that he may observe to do that is, that is, that is all that is written in it. And then he says, for then, after you have meditated upon it, and after you have observed all of it that's in it, after you have obeyed, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Goes back to our desires, I think. If we're in the word, we're receiving the word, we're gaining wisdom through the word, we're gaining knowledge through the word, therefore, we're going to make good decisions. <laughs> we're going to make decisions that put the Lord first. We're going to make decisions that will honor him and his word first. And therefore, we, would be, we will be prosperous and we will have success putting the Lord first. Fifthly, we see that the word accomplishes healing and deliverance. Psalm 107, verse 20 says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. From their destructions. All we need is a word from the Lord for healing. That's all we need. God can just speak it, speak forth and bring healing. We see that in the scriptures. And we see here that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Number six, we see cleansing. It accomplishes cleansing and forgiveness. John 15, 3. Jesus speaking, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Number seven, it accomplishes wisdom and insight. Psalm 119, 98. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. We see the wisdom that we receive from the word of God as we receive instructions from him, direction from him, insight, revelation, and he makes us wiser than our enemies. Number eight, guidance and direction. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Big decision to make. Don't know what to do. Look in the word. God will reveal it to you. It may not be, okay, this is, 
like we're, we're, we are uh, having our roof repaired. And I remember Willie sharing about his roof. I'm not going to find in the scriptures, call this company and they're going to fix your roof for the best price. <laughs> right? But through prayer, you're seeking the Lord through his word. I'm going to gain wisdom and discernment, discernment on who to choose and who to hire to fix the roof. And so we, we receive guidance and direction. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It, he gives us direction for uh, our life's path, right? For young people, what is it that, that you're, you're going to do in your life? What direction do you, are you supposed to go? Well, the word of God can give you that guidance, can give you that direction. Number nine, it accomplishes insight and revelation, Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. That would be me, <laughs> the simple, right? And, but the word of God gives us understanding. The word of God gives us light. And then finally, peace and stability. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, right? Um, the Lord gave me, when, when my brother went to go be with him, my mom, my dad, he gave me verses for all three of them during that time, and I hold on to them even today. For my brother, he was, what, 98, my dad, 2001, my mom, 2011. But those verses are my, are my verses that God ministers to me and strengthens me and encourages me, gives me that peace, gives me that stability that I needed then and that I need today. So the word of God accomplishes peace and stability. Notice that the last four verses are from Psalm 119. We had Psalm uh, uh, verse 98, verse 105, verse 130, and verse 165. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, containing 176 verses. It focuses almost exclusively on the word of God, both his written and spoken word. And so I, I highly encourage you to read Psalm 119 and to meditate upon it. All the promises are there. He uses, he uses different uh, words to describe the word of God, maybe... Um, um, I just, had the, I just had them in my mind right now. <laughs> and so he uses different words to describe the word, but I highly encourage you to read it, Psalm 119. Very powerful chapter. I want to read a quote from Elias Boudinot. And 
And I want to set it up by reading from the Founder's Bible with, uh, from David Barton. Uh, Elias Boudinot was a founding father. And as I set it up, we will, we will see who he was and what he did, and then we will read his quote. And so um, in 1816, the first national, Bi uh, the first national Bible Society, the American Bible Society, was formed. And, you know, that is still going on today. I looked it up. I Googled it. Um, ministry is still going. It's worldwide. They're sharing the, the word and just making it available to whoever wants it, whoever needs it. And so over 200 years, this, this Bible society, the American Bible Society, is still going, still going strong. All Bible societies prior to that, of course, the Bible societies prior to this started about seven years prior to the American Bible Society. They had focused on specific regions or groups, such as states, cities, sailors, women, inmates, etc., specific um, regions or specific groups. But the American Bible Society turns its, turned its attention to the country as a whole and also to working with other nations to distribute the word of God worldwide. Because they believe that everyone should have a Bible in their hands. And so the ministry, the, the societies, the Bible societies were developed, they began with the purpose, with the goal, with the vision to get have to make sure that everyone that wanted a Bible had a Bible, that they were available to them. Significantly, the original founding officers of the American Bible Society were a veritable who's who of American political leaders. Its first president, was founding father Elias Boudinot, who had served as a president of the Continental Congress, signed the final peace treaty with Great Britain to end the revolution, helped framed the Bill of Rights, and was the first attorney admitted to the U.S. Supreme Court bar. Throughout his life, Boudinot, like so many other founders, had been a serious student of the Bible. He was 76 years old when he became president of the American Bible Society and had read through the Bible numerous times. His view on the benefits of Bible reading were clear. And I quote, he said, for nearly half a century have I anxiously and critically studied that invaluable treasure, he was speaking of the Bible, and I still scarcely ever take it, take it, and I still scarcely ever take it up that I do not find something new, that I do not receive some valuable addition to my stock of knowledge, or perceive some instructive fact never observed before. In short, were you to ask me to recommend the most valuable book in the world, I should fix on the Bible as the most instructive, both to the wise and ignorant. 
were you to ask me for one affording the most rational and pleasing entertainment to the acquiring mind, I should repeat, it is the Bible. And should you renew the inquiry for the best philosophy or the most interesting history, I should still urge you to look into your Bible. I would make it, in short, the alpha and omega of knowledge. Boudinot acknowledged a profound truth. No matter how many times someone reads through the Bible, each time he will find things he has never before seen or noticed. This is why the Bible uses the term unsearchable in describing God and his word. You will never get to the bottom of all the knowledge it contains. Have you found that to be true? <laughs> you will never get to the bottom of all the knowledge that it contains. Beyond our lifetime, right? Our whole lifetime. Even, I was thinking, Pastor Randy, what he said, he had just said Sunday, right? 50 years? He'd been with the Lord? And still hasn't got to the bottom of all the knowledge that is in the Word of God. 25 years for me, and I tell you what, studying for the youth ministry, I am learning some things that, <laughs> that is blowing my mind. And I'm like, wow, this is great. This is deep. And so we will never get to the bottom of the knowledge that it contains. Romans 11, verses 33 and 34 affirms this. It says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, or his ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? And so as we continue in the word our walk with the Lord, we will never hit the bottom. I'm going to put this back over here. And so we see that Paul tells the Thessalonians that the word of God worked in them effectively when they believed or because they believed. The word of God worked effectively in them. Finally, in verses 14 through 16, we have the persecution of the saints. In verse 14, Paul says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. And so we see in verse 14 that they became imitators of the churches of God in Judea. And then he continues on. He, he gives us how they were imitators of the churches in Judea. He says, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. And so they received this persecution from their own countrymen. 
And so let us not be surprised when it happens to us from our own countrymen as well. The persecution in, um, in verse 15, Paul, Paul tells them and he tells us that the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And so we see that they killed Jesus, they killed the prophets, and they killed the apostles. And so it would not be a surprise, or it is not a surprise, that they come against the church as well. And so let us not be surprised when they do come against us. That persecution started very early in the church, did it not? In the book of Acts, we see it right away. And it's what's interesting about the persecution in the book of Acts is that God used that persecution to cause them to spread out because they were congregating in one place, right? And so every time there was persecution, they would leave. They would go to another city. They would go to another town. And when they got there, they shared the gospel. And so we see that God used the persecution to further the gospel, to spread it even more. Um, Pastor Randy spoke about persecution on Sunday. And so I didn't want to go too deep in the persecution, but I, I did want to remind us of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And Paul says in that verse, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so uh, Pastor Randy mentioned this, and that's not a promise that we want to hold to, right, that we want to claim, if you will. But it is true, and it, it's so interesting. You know, I, I think about this often, that Jesus, what did he go around doing? Healing the sick, feeding the hungry, right? Um, casting out demons, providing for people. All he did was go and do good for people. And yet, he was persecuted and he was crucified. The church, hospitals, where are all our hospitals from? Most of them are from the church, from believers. And so we see that it's so interesting that even though Jesus did good, the apostles did good things for people, the church does good things for people, yet the world and this world system comes against it. I find that so interesting. Definitely spiritual warfare. But Paul here says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so let us not forget that. In verse 16, the end of verse 15, after mentioning they, they killed Jesus, they killed the prophets and persecuted 
Paul and the apostles. I mentioned persecute the church as well. You know, the voice of the martyrs, uh, if anyone's um, familiar with the voice of the martyrs, it's a ministry that, that they help Christian families that their loved one has been martyred, maybe the, the, the husband, the dad, and they will come in and they will support the family uh, in whatever needs that they have. That verse that you see in the in the youth room, if you were to go in the youth room, has everyone seen that the verses on the wall there? And um, John Chow, he was a Christian that prepared to go on the mission field uh, for years. He studied, he trained um, to be a, a medical nurse, if you will, or a doctor, and because he wanted to be able to treat them and share the gospel with them. And um, so he, he trained, and the moment he got there, he was killed. And that's a quote from him. And he says that, I believe that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. That's what he said. The measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. He was obedient to the Lord, calling them to those people that were known, I forget their names right now, but they were known to persecute Christians, anyone that went on the island that wasn't supposed to be there. And he knew this, but he knew that God had called him to go there. And he prepared and he went, and sure enough, they uh, martyred, they killed him. But the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience, he said. And so in verse 16, he says that they were forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. That's what it comes down to, the souls of men. That's what this is all about. That's what the gospel is all about, the souls of men. And of course, we see that, that the devil and this world system comes against that. They come against souls being saved. That's really what they're coming against. Paul says they forbade them to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. And so, uh, so as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And so these men sowed to the flesh, so they reaped corruption. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. For us, as a warning, but also a warning to those that persecute us as well. If they sow to the flesh, they're going to reap corruption. And that's what Paul says here in, at the end of verse 16. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, filling up that cup with their sins, right? But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. In actuality, they were persecuting Jesus, and they are persecuting Jesus when they come against us. 
We'll close with this verse. John 18, verse 18 through 20. Jesus speaking, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And so as they come against the church, they're actually coming against Jesus. Filling up their cup. What does he say? Filling up the measure of their sins. And then he says, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And so we, we know that, that God has us. God protects us. God was even protecting John Chow. And he took John Chow home in his perfect timing, in his perfect will. Here we are having his quote on our wall. How many people have been ministered by the quote of John Chow about what obedience is? How many people have been moved to be obedient to the Lord because of the, because of the events that happened in John Chow's life, in God's perfect will and in his perfect timing? And that's what he has for each one of us, in his perfect will in his perfect timing. He is sovereign. Uh, Pastor Randy was sharing that. We hear that a lot, that God is sovereign. He's in control. And he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Even when, even when it seems like it doesn't, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord that you know what you're doing. You know all things, Lord. You see where we're, each one of us are at, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that are in it. We thank you, Lord, for the warnings that are in it. Even, Lord, the warning of that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Thank you, Lord. If I'm going to suffer, Lord, I would rather suffer because of your name's sake. Suffer as a Christian. And Lord, we pray now that you would go before us. And Father, that you would cause each and every one of us, God, to not only read your word, but to meditate upon it and to learn it, Father to seek you with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our strength. And so, God, we give you thanks tonight, Father. We love you. We praise you, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we're going to close with a song, and we pray that um, as you go forward, that the Lord blesses you, that he would continue to use you, he would continue to fill, fill you with his word, and as you seek him, that you would just hold on to his promises.
and God will accomplish what his word is sent out to do. And so thank you for leading us in worship tonight. Yeah, it's such a blessing. And so God bless you.